Welcome to We Blame Our Shelves, a podcast where two librarians discuss books, movies, games, you know, anything you can find on your shelf. My call number is 133.7. I'm Dan Major, and I am joined by... Um, you can find me on the shelf in 793.35, James Pugh, librarian in training. And what is what is 793.35? Interpretive dance. Okay. <laughs> I've I've never seen it in person, but I think it's a good one. I just one. feel like my life is just nothing but an interpretive dance of what <laughs> I'm going through every day. That's me just interpretively dancing through it. All right. <laughs> my call number, 133.7, is Humbugs and Quackery, which falls under religion. <laughs> fitting. Yep. It's very fitting. Specifically, like, religion, <clears throat> occultism, and humbugs and quackery. <laughs> So I thought that was an interesting call number. So today's topic, what is it? Shelf organization. Shelf organization. And for that, uh, we have a special guest joining us today. Um, we have Anne Heidemann. Um, hi, Anne. Hello. Um, and I guess tell us a little bit about um, your career as a librarian right now. Where are you working and what are you working on? Sure. So currently I serve as the tribal librarian for the Saginaw Chippewa Indian tribe, and that encompasses three main library locations, one of which is a public library, one at the tribal college, which is a two-year community college, and one at the K-5 elementary school, which is known as Saginaw Chippewa Academy. So um, I have a very uh, varied <laughs> daily uh, routine <laughs> in this position. Um, it is kind of three jobs that have been um, you know, prior to me starting there, made into one. So um, I've also worked previously in other public and community college libraries um, since uh, about 1999. And um, I did work in public libraries in high school and college as well, but um, didn't occur to me until after I was done with my undergrad that I might want to actually get a master's and have that <laughs> as a career. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I do a lot of different stuff, but um, our library staff is really small. It's just myself and two library assistants. So wow. I, uh, I get to have my hand in a lot of different things. Very cool. Cool. Yeah, that, I mean, like school librarianship versus public versus academic. academic yeah. They're such extremely different jobs from one another. <laughs> I can't even imagine, like, I can't balance my <laughs> one day with... <laughs> very strict job duties versus doing that so that is very cool i, I get tired cool. just doing one day of outreach and then i still have to do like a reference desk shift i'm like oh, that's enough for me i can well, I, do I, miss I, I do spend a lot of time at the service desk um and you know because we have three people for three locations we can't really staff all three of them all the time <laughs> mm. so um so yeah it is uh i i make a lot of lists and i rely on calendar reminders to tell me where i'm supposed to be when <laughs> there you go all right. Well, shelf organization. Um, I like to start off, or I would like to start off this conversation with your shelves at home. <laughs> How are they organized? Because mine really are not. Um, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But James, how do you how do you organize your books, your movies, your games at home? Well, okay. So I I do like a hybrid. I do genre first, then author, hmm. then title. So, so more bookstore. So more type. bookstore okay. type, yeah. I like because I started working with books at Barnes and Noble. That was like my introduction. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, that's my introduction to um, shelf organization. So that's how I've been done it ever since at home. But for movies, I just do by title. 
Mm-hmm. It's all mixed, mixed, mixed up. Like it could be a horror movie followed by a sci-fi movie followed by a comedy, but it's all in alphabetical order by the title. <laughs> all right. How about you, Anne? Uh, it's kind of embarrassing, but um, until I met my spouse, my bookshelves at home had zero organization. <laughs> I just sort of put them wherever they fit, and uh, the when I boat. met my spouse, they were horrifying. <laughs> Uh, so our current organization is actually just what you have at yours, James. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I have those like Ikea cube storage things um, and they have doors on the front, which you know, out of sight, out of mind, I literally just like dump whatever. If there's an empty cube, I'll dump all my stuff in it. I'll try to fit it neatly, but it is not organized by name. But like, I have books next to video games, next to movies. I, I have like video game CDs in movie cases. Like, in one of my two Twin Peaks box sets, I found um, a PlayStation Four game. Um, so I'm I'm really terrible about it at home, and I should be ashamed of myself. Well, no, you know this is funny because as we closed out last month's um, episode, we asked the question, "How do you uh, organize your shelf at home?" And was it Julie McLoon? Mm-hmm. She said, "Oh, I don't do it either." <laughs> and I think I was the only one who kind of has like some kind of organization. And I'm like, "So wait, you do, you are both." Uh, master degree librarians and I'm just a librarian in training and I'm organizing at home and so <laughs> yeah. you just well, leave you, work you gotta at work? practice at home we put in our time as soon as you get the degree you can unorganize everything yeah, I, at I'm home like, I'm, I, I got it I don't need to <laughs> practice it anymore uh, but that's that's kind of funny because in school w- when you're talking about shelf organization you want to you want to make it so that um, the items on the shelf are easy to find mm-hmm. um, and you know, from Barnes and Noble, from retail, it's like, well, we're going to put them in genre. Uh, so you'll have romance in a section, and you'll have science fiction in a section. Whereas in a library, we kind of need to get a little bit more specific. Yeah. So what we did was we, in libraries, especially public libraries, um, we came up with, well, we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Librarians. Librarians. <laughs> um, back in like the eight, late 1800s came up with a uh, thing called the Dewey Decimal System. That's how libraries do it today. Um, so this guy named Melville Dewey back in 1873, uh, he basically was like, you know what? We need to organize knowledge. That's, and, and you can only organize it in these 10 main broad categories. <laughs> <laughs> and he organized it between like the numbers 000 to 900 plus, right? Mm-hmm. 999? 999. Yeah. Um, and each of those correspond with like a broad topic. So, for example, books that are in the 500s are going to be about natural sciences and mathematics. Right. So then he's like, but we need to get a little bit more specific for each broad topic. So within each of those 10 broad topics, you have 10 subtopics, like, you know, 510, 520, 530. Right. And so therefore, books in the 560s would be about, you know, fossils and prehistoric life. Right. So you're getting a little bit more specific. And then he was like, let's add these little decimal numbers. (laughs) So he could be like, books that are in 568.1 will be about prehistoric reptiles. And then we can get even more specific because we can say books and by adding more numbers after the decimal. So we can be like books um, that are 568.19 are about dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. So, I mean, it's it's kind of like a, a, a intuitive way to organize information, but that's not the only classification system out there. Right. 
And before we move on from that, what is what is the most amount of decimal numbers you've ever seen after like the main number, like five sixty eight point one nine is dinosaurs? Like I I uncommonly see up to four decimal points, but I know it can go further than that. I've, I've seen five. In fact, I have an example of one with five later. Oh, really? I do. Okay. Um, yeah, Just I should saying. look at my script a little more <laughs> then. Um, but yeah, and do you do you know how far they actually go? I think I've I've maybe seen. I see four pretty frequently. I don't see five or six very often. Usually it's like yeah. online when I see it and it's a screenshot from another library or something. <laughs> I would say it's pretty rare for most public libraries to go farther than five at the most. Um, I've definitely seen some with up to maybe even six, but um, you know, it's, it, I feel like it would be a rare public library collection that would yeah. be so large that you would need to get that granular. Yeah, yeah, you'd be getting incredibly specific at that point. And if you only have like one book on a sub like, sub sub topic, there's there's no point in assigning it a number that detailed. Yeah. yeah. Like there's and not I a lot like of books it, about dinosaurs with three toes. It just gets so confusing for the patron when there's too many numbers to remember. So mm -hmm. that's also fair, yeah. Well, in like the eight hundreds, which are literature. Yes. What is it? Eight eight thirteen is American literature, mm -hmm. which you know fiction in public libraries is separated out, or else we'd have all of fiction <laughs> under eight thirteen, which would get really cumbersome. So you know we have an entire fiction section that we sort by the last name of the author, but that also has problems because our library, I looked it up last week, has like three hundred some James Patterson books. Yes. Um, a lot of them are duplicates, probably not many of them because he has <laughs> written or co-written that many books at this point. But it is really hard. You know, we, we do um, stickers for series yeah. to help determine, you know, it goes alphabetical author, but then it goes alphabetical title. But you don't want to do that when there's books in a series. You want them to be together. So there is... You know, there's okay ways of doing it, but I don't really think there's a good way of doing it. And in Library Journal last week, I also read a very um, critical piece about genrefying libraries. Oh, um, okay. Which I, when I worked at Romeo, um, their fiction section was genrefied. Like, like a bookstore. Like a bookstore, yeah, yep. Yeah. It was mystery. It was, you know... Mm -hmm. um, nonfiction separated still out but they had mystery, they had horror they had sci-fi fantasy um, and then they had general fiction mm -hmm. um, and there was I've never heard anybody like write so passionately against genrefication because you want your your filing system to mirror how people think about looking up books but that's going to be different for everybody that's so you, you never really know that's true that's true <clears throat> um, but there is another classification system out there. Yes. The other ma major classification system is from the Library of Congress. Um, the Library of Congress developed the LOC uh, classification system in 1897, so not too long after the Dewey Decimal System was created. Uh, it is a little more granular than the Dewey Decimal System, and today it's used primarily in research libraries or uh, really large libraries or law libraries and things like that. Um, it works very similarly, um, but instead of being bound by numbers that go 0 through 9, uh, they use a combination of letters. Uh, not all 26. They use 21 letters hmm. to determine the class. 
So like N is fine arts. And then there's a second letter, which is the topic further specified. So if we have N, it's fine arts. If we have B, uh, NB would be sculptures. Okay. And then um, there's another number that is assigned to it, <laughs> which actually in library school, I feel like I never really learned about this topic number. This decimal number is very similar to the Dewey yes. subtopics. Yes. Um, so it would be like, where is this? Uh, where is this sculpture from? Mm-hmm. Um, what's it made of? What kind of categorization does it receive? Yeah. Um, and I never really studied much of that. <laughs> uh, but I did study cutter numbers quite a bit, which is something as a public librarian I never use. Uh, <laughs> and that's a numerical code based on the author's last name, which kind of solves the Patterson problem a little bit because it yeah. it at least separates other Pattersons out from James Patterson. Uh, so it's you know, spreads things out a little bit and gives it a different call number. Um, and th- th- I feel like the Library of Congress classification system was made specifically for the Library of Congress, yes. even though it's been adopted by other libraries. Mostly academic libraries, but yes, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's um, it seems to be a little bit more like shelf location and call number are tied a little bit more closely together because it's working around what their particular building was yes. like at the time, yeah. which, mm-hmm. you know, today might not make quite as much sense because it's changed and grown so much. Um, but it, it's it's a little bit more adaptable, I think, than Dewey is. Uh, and then the last is the, uh, there's four numbers which indicate the date of publication. So it'll okay. say like 2018, which is very easy, especially after the cutter numbers. The cutter number is a really weird formula. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. have to plug the names into and everything so yeah but i mean these these classification systems like you kind of began to touch on this like like the library of congress was designed for the library of congress and it was meant to find the book specifically on the shelf Mm -hmm. dewey was just here's information let's just organize it so that it's easy to find unfortunately these were both conceived in like the 1800s yeah and they for all intents and purposes haven't really been addressed or updated or yeah. or very rarely computers have were invented and they're like uh let's let's put them in the zeros yeah <laughs> like Which computers need knowledge. to go somewhere yeah com- uh, computers are general are in the same numbers as general knowledge and cryptozoology so it's yep. like, and what? library <laughs> science is in the zeros as well yeah and library science is in there too um but they can also be very problematic and um and the saginaw chippewa tribal library actually recently received a grant to address this issue that Dewey especially has kind of brought up. Um, it's called the uh, Decolonizing Libraries to Foster Community Well-Being. And um, you, you um, have been working on this grant project for how long now? Well, I mean, uh, from the conception of it, it's, gosh, it's been like six years maybe. Wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that really kind of percolated for a while, I think, as I was doing my, my work, you know, uh, cataloging items, classifying those items. Uh, so in the tribal libraries, the public and school locations both use Dewey, and then the uh, tribal college location uses LOC. So, um, you know, uh, we might have uh, a particular title that we have at both the public and college locations, and so they would have different call numbers because they're using two different systems. Um, and really, uh, so I've been in this position for about nine years, and as I was you know, getting to know the community and working with the collections, 
uh, I really started to realize that the the community that I'm serving particularly was being especially disserviced by the biases that are in these two classification systems. Um, so some examples of that might be like in the Library of Congress system, everything to do with Native people is automatically put into the E uh, class, um, and that is the history class. And so that shows the bias of the people who created it as though Native people are only in history and not currently existing. Yeah, and I mean, (laughs) Um, it it could go under religion, it could go under art, it could go under food, it could go under applied science, you know, there's there's just, yeah. So, yeah, so I really tried to, um, you know, I as as this became more and more clear to me and, you know, the the size of the E collection uh, or class at the tribal college was most of the collection. <laughs> and, you know, the the more that that happens, the less useful the classification is for finding anything. So um, so I, I tried to be like, well, OK, this is a book about botany. I'm going to make up my own call number for it um, in LOC and put it with the other botany books. Um, but I felt increasingly as time went by, like I was just kind of putting band-aids on things (laughs) and that, you know, the, the systems themselves, you know, they obviously reflect the biases of the people who made them, you know, like Mm -hmm. anything, anything that a human ever made (laughs) reflects the person or people who created it. So, um, so it, I started to think about like, well, what if there was a different way of doing this? And um, I had found out at um, a tribal librarians conference about the uh, Institute for Museum and Library Services National Leadership Grant Program, uh, which is designed to allow libraries or, or institutions to write a proposal to do some kind of a project that theoretically would show some leadership in the field. Um, and then would be useful to other libraries or other librarians or people working in libraries or people using libraries uh, in some way. So I started kind of, uh, you know, figuring out, well, what would this actually look like? And one of the things that I felt right from the beginning was, who am I, uh, a settler, a white person coming in and, you know, I'm lucky to work in this library, but who am I to say what the right system would look like? You know, I... I feel like I, if we want a library that really serves this Native community, then it's got to be the Native community who says what it should look like. Mm-hmm. So um, so I wrote this uh, proposal, and um, the way that the National Leadership Grant Program works is you write a very short two-page proposal, and then you either get invited to write a full one or not. So, um, so luckily, we did get invited to write a full proposal, and that one was about twenty pages, I think, for the narrative. Yeah, even so. even preparing a grant is almost as much work as yeah. e- executing <laughs> a grant once you get it. Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. something like this, years of work. <laughs> um, and so then wrote that, and luckily got granted. Um, it is kind of a competitive program, so I really was not expecting it to get it on the first try. <laughs> nice. You know, I had talked to folks at IMLS and. They sort of said, well, you know, sometimes people apply two or three times and they refine their application and their proposal over those um, edits. But, um, but we, you know, we were really lucky to get it. So um, baked into the design of the project, though, is that it is facilitated by someone who is um, a community member, someone from the, the tribal community. And then um, there is a, a, a work group uh, composed of, computer, of community members who all, um, you know, have... Uh, cultural knowledge, community knowledge, native knowledge, like, you know, 
way more stuff and background than I personally could ever read about. Um, so it, uh, so we were awarded the grant in 2019. And then just as we were about to hire the facilitator, it was March of 2020. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so yeah, so everything just came to a complete halt. You know, the hiring process was stopped. Um, you know, the, uh, the, everybody was on lockdown and, um, it was, uh, it was quite a while into 2020 before we were even back on site in the libraries. So, um, it has taken a little bit of time to recover, but, um, but we were able to do the hiring. We hired a facilitator and, um, that person, um, actually just, <laughs> just very recently, um, had, had another opportunity come up and so has left this project to go pursue that, um, which I wish them all the best. They have been amazing and um, I'm sure they will be amazing in their new role. But anyway, we are going to be hiring in the new year, a new facilitator for this project. <laughs> but we did have, in the meantime, a whole lot of meetings with this community group. Um, and the, the members of the community group are people who we kind of sought out purposefully for their particular knowledge or role in the community. Um, so, you know, we didn't just open it up and say, anyone who's interested, come on in. Um, it also is such a specific project. And like, I'm sure you understand, like not everybody thinks about library classification systems all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Probably very few people outside of library staff do. <laughs> so, um, so we really wanted to be um, sort of uh, deliberate about those um, invitations and it has been wonderful. So, um, again, because of the pandemic and everything, we, we originally had planned to have uh, indigenous library experts come and visit the community, but um, we've had to do all those visits via Zoom, but it has worked out really well. And um, so we've been able to learn over the course of the last year, really, from uh, you know a dozen different indigenous library experts um, or experts in uh, like knowledge keepers uh, in the community or other folks who have um, sort of the cultural background that I think um, the group wanted to hear from um, in order to be able to think about what would a different library system look like? How would you organize things from an indigenous and specifically Anishinaabe perspective? Um, so we really are just about to get to the part where we do the work of figuring out what that looks like. <laughs> uh, that, that was going to be um, my next question was like, so what, what system did you guys go with? What topics are you going with? But it sounds like you're just about to get there. Does it have a exactly. name yet? Yeah. <laughs> um, and there, there are some other indigenous library systems out there. There's a system called Brian Deere that's been used in um, Canada mostly. Um, and so it is possible that the group will say, you know what, we want to take the Brian Deere system or some other system and adjust it in certain ways or change it. Or they may say, we want to do something that is completely different. Um, some of the kind of fundamental um, categorizations that I learned about in library school and, you know, throughout my 20 something years in libraries now um just may or may not be that useful such as right. the distinction between fiction and nonfiction. you know um it is it is not necessarily so cut and dried all the time mm -hmm. and something that i've been thinking about recently too is that you know the way that i grew up learning about science was like okay here is science here are a bunch of facts we have figured these out beyond a shadow of a doubt and there is no way that any of this could change and we know that that's not how science works. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it is always changing. We are always learning new things. 
So saying, you know, like in the elementary school, we might say, well, here are the stories and here are the books of facts, but are they, you know, yeah. like, is that really a, a, a totally useful way of thinking about it? I don't know. So, um, so I see a lot of opportunity for uh, new ways of thinking about this, I guess. Hmm. And I think, I mean, just the idea when I, when I do have to touch on cataloging, because I don't do much cataloging or anything. But, like, inherently assigning a classification to a book yeah. is incredibly difficult because I think we use a maximum of three subject headings in our catalog. Um, but you could do so many more than that. And by limiting it to three, you're really limiting the scope of searchability. And, yeah, but at the I same mean, time, on the flip side, if you have 12 subject headings for every single book, <laughs> you're going to create an entirely different problem. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think three is pretty standard. You know, like every every item should have three subject headings so that it's uh, well enough described, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, right. And if you want to add a few more, great, but, you know, not required. Um, and subject headings are another part of this project, um, which, you know, they go hand in hand. Um, you know, so like I was saying at the tribal college location, like if you have everything in the E's where it theoretically would go, then that section is like more than half of the collection. And that's <laughs> yeah. not useful for people who are trying to find things. Right. Um, and the same thing is true for the subject headings. Like uh, say if you have the library of Congress subject heading Indians of North America, that describes 80% of everything that you have. Like <laughs> that's super not useful at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, uh, one of the things that, um, so with the subject headings, one of the things that happens is that whoever created those subject headings is looking at it from their perspective and how they view the world. And that might not be the view or the perspective of the person who's being described. Right. Um, so, you know, uh, if I were to ask anybody in the community, how would you describe yourself? Like, who are you? The phrase Indians of North America would not be <laughs> yeah. said by a yeah. person ever. <laughs> Well, and even like, I always mix up the ones and twos. Two hundreds are religion. Yes. Um, two hundred through two hundred eighty nine point nine nine nine, whatever. That is all Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. You only mm -hmm. have two ninety up to three hundred. That is other, other religions, yeah. which is such a huge <laughs> blanket. You know, larger in reality than the rest of the two hundred should be. And that comes yeah. from, you know, Melville Dewey's point of view at the time. Mm -hmm. But, you know, by choosing to use, I mean, it's not even really a choice for us to use the Dewey Decimal System, but, like, we have to cram every other religion into this one call number, which is not yeah. conducive to yeah, a lot of things. It's not helpful for anyone. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. It's harder to find, and it just really doesn't make sense at this point in time, so... Yeah, absolutely. Um, another good example of how I feel like these systems don't serve the community that I'm serving very well is that um, if you wanted to uh, find information about um, any Native nation, um, and so, uh, you know, there are uh, hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of Native nations. Um, there are over 570 in the U.S. right now that are federally recognized and many more that aren't. Um, but if you were to look for any of those in either of these systems or those subject headings, you would see them under the name that the settler nation or settler people call them, mm -hmm. <laughs> not the name they call themselves. Ooh. 
and they are listed alphabetically by that name. So um, it kind of erases the relationships between those groups, Mm -hmm. um, which would be much more based in geography than they would in uh, Western alphabetical, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) So so it's just, there's just a lot of ways that like, um, you know, tiny injustices that really add up, I feel like to uh, a thing that just says like, you know, uh, saying without saying it, like, you're not welcome here. This is not for you. Um, and I'm working in tribal libraries. They are operated by the tribe. They should not be doing that. <laughs> right. Um, do you think that this, if whatever comes out of this grant, do you think it could be um, used more nationwide or more wide than just uh, that tribal library? Yeah. Is, is this scalable for like all native groups in North America or like how, how flexible do you want this to be or how flexible is it looking right now? So that's a great question, and it isn't looking like anything yet since we haven't really gotten there. But, <laughs> um, but it is something that I had to think about under the, um, you know, the terms of the grant and everything. You want it to be uh, useful in some way. So my thought process on that was kind of, uh, let's come up with a system that works here and that is somewhat specific to this community. But hopefully, out of that system, there will be. Um, sort of philosophies or principles that might be useful on a wider scale or uh, adaptable in different communities. Um, And hopefully uh, the process that is used, I'm hoping that that process sharing that will also be useful for other groups or places that might want to pursue a similar kind of project. I think it seems like IMLS probably loves that answer yes, yes. <laughs> because like it's it's one specific project but if it's scalable if it's applicable to so many different communities like that's that's really what they're always after yeah. that's why we never get big imls <laughs> grants <laughs> not really um no. but yeah that that's incredibly cool that i mean you you don't really know yet where it could go but you're you're really setting a lot of cool new groundwork for something that could be huge Yeah. Well, I hope so. I hope so. And I really do feel like, you know, I mean, we all, I mean, those of us who work in libraries are pretty aware that, you know, like any industry or or, um, vocation or whatever, there are a lot of sort of baked in issues that we're always struggling with. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this is one that's really coming to the fore uh, recently. So I'm really, um, I feel lucky to be able to work on this type of thing and, um, you know, to be able to use my grant writing skills and and you know the thoughts that I've had professionally <laughs> to be able to um, to do something that will hopefully be a, a net good for the community that I'm serving and maybe further than that nice nice well that actually leads well like this is a great segue into our rapid fire uh, section of uh, today's episode I'm excited for this so one. <laughs> so usually we just like kind of ask like favorite author favorite uh, color things like that but today because you mentioned that um, in library science the classification systems are kind of being brought up because they haven't really been touched in 150 plus years um that uh, i thought it'd be fun to throw out some dewey decimal numbers or topics and you either have to guess the dewey number or the topic okay and this will be tricky because my purpose here is to showcase just how outdated the dewey decimal <laughs> system tends to be um so for example uh interpretive dance is I only know that because it is written here and we talked about it earlier. (laughs) That's where you find me on the shelf, Dan. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, <coughs> so here we go. That's where your office is. That's where my office is. Uh, so are we ready? Okay, so, ready. The, first, mm-hmm. so the first one is 221.11. So it's got to be something to do with the Bible, but <laughs> I have to say I don't know anything more specific than that. Dan, any guesses? Yeah, I know, like we talked about it, 200, anything other than 290 is going to be Christianity related. So something to do with Christianity. You're right. It is 221.11 is the Bible, okay. s- specifically the book of Genesis. Oh. That's weird. I never realized <laughs> that they had s- like numbers assigned to specific books of the Bible. I That's not, interesting. I didn't either. When I was doing the research, hmm. I was like, hmm, interesting. All right. And I should have remembered that because I think about creation stories a lot um, because uh, the indigenous creation stories are not put with the biblical ones in yeah. the, uh, the Dewey framework that's laid out uh, officially. That's funny you say that because the next one on here is 398.27397. <laughs> so this uh, 398.2, generally speaking, is going to be your fairy tales, folk tales, mythology. Um, and I, I'm... Not positive about this, but I'm going to say this is something to do with, like, tales and lore um, from a human perspective. Close. It is Native American folklore, which often contains creation or religious stories from Native American tribes. So there you go. There you go. And (laughs) so this is a great example of one that I don't use. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and my problem with that is 300s are social sciences. To me... Fairy tales and folklore in general would be 800s because that's generally literature right? in my mind, but I didn't write the Dewey Decimal System, (laughs) and if I did, people would probably have a problem with my choices, too. Okay. Whatever. (laughs) Uh, Next one. Uh, 023.5. I'm pretty sure that this is where library workers go. You're right. It's library staff. (laughs) Library staff. That is absolutely right. Okay. Camels. 500, 548. Yeah. I'm going to say like 590-somethings. Um, are they with like cows and things like that? I don't oh, know. And, oh, 590 is mammals, right? And you're knocking it out of the park. You're knocking it out of the park because camels can be found at either 599.6362 if they're wild or 636.295 if they're domesticated where, where the other farm oh. animals are. Interesting. So if you're looking for camels, you huh. have to be very specific on what type of camel you're looking for. <laughs> Otherwise, you're looking oh, in the wrong yeah. spot in the library. All right. I've, this has never come up in my 20 years of <laughs> looking for <laughs> All right. Um, 973.7. I'm pretty sure this is Lincoln. I was going to say presidential something. Yeah. Well, Lincoln is close. Okay. It's Lincoln civ- Logs. It's the Civil War. Oh. Okay. Sure. <laughs> the Civil War. All right. So the next one is uh, the emancipation of the slaves. That, Boy, is that in, yeah, in the same that, spot? That could go in like the social sciences, or that could go in history if we're talking about that specific event. See, so nine nine eighty. <laughs> <laughs> no, no nine nine seventy four. See, that's that's the that's the issue, right? Like, yes, 
973 is about the Civil War, but the emancipation of slaves is in 326.8. Okay, I was in going it, in the right direction the so, first yeah, time. Yeah, <laughs> so the two historic events, which are very closely related, are in two mm-hmm. opposite ends of the Dewey Decimal yeah. System. Um, skilled and unskilled labor. Six something. Ugh. See, you're right because it could be in there, but applied sciences six hundreds. That seems like you're, labor. You're, yeah, to but me. but there's also C- career there, books are in the six hundred. Right. Say, <laughs> yeah, it's either that or somewhere in the three hundreds. It's this one was three thirty one point seven. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Right. But three oh five point four three. 305 is where they put stuff about women, maybe? Uh-huh. Or is that wrong? No, you're right. This one is a very specific <laughs> thing women do. Oh, women in labor. Women in work. <laughs> women in work. Yeah. That's, so a, that's a weird. Yeah. That's a weird. I mean, I guess I can see in like 18 something how that was like a specific <laughs> topic, but I feel like that's. Yeah, like today, there's there's women in careers all, the, all over the place. So, yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. You don't need to yeah. specify. All right. Can I editorialize for just a second? Just absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I just want to say, like, I know that there are people who are working to try to update these systems and, like, make little fixes to them here and there. But um, I feel like this just really proves the point that I have been um, thinking about in this project, which is the little band-aids don't, you Mm -hmm. can't, they just don't fix the larger issues. (laughs) All right. Um... This one's a triple header. I know this. I was waiting for this one because you I, a, I know about this. You the, these call numbers. Major. Yes. You ling- okay. 418, 428, and 448. 418 is linguistics. Uh, like 410 is linguistics. 418 would be like, I mean, generalities is always going to be a zero, but it's like, like <laughs> rules of linguistics or something like that. Yep. I use that call number a lot in my undergrad. <laughs> and 428 is English. Yep. General rules of or something. Correct. 448, I don't know, though. <laughs> it's French. Oh, okay. But here's the, is, here's the issue. No other language has that subheading. Like general <laughs> rules ju- of? No, o- the only three that have prescriptive linguistics <clears throat> or, prescri- or, or standard usage subtitles, like numbers, That's are strange. Yeah. general linguistics, well, and English, and French. Is, is eight as the third number used for anything? Like if you look up German, which yes. 470 is, or yep. whatever, yep. is what's under 478? Nothing? Text- textbooks. Oh, so that that final number can mean different things. I guess. I don't which know, generally yeah. they try to keep, you know, the eight in the third place generally means the same thing. Generally, they, they try yeah. to do that, yeah. but hmm. but I, no, just those three languages have the prescriptive rules, I guess. All right, and this last one, psychopathology. Boy, I mean, medicine generally is in the six hundreds, but. I, I don't would, know. I would say one something because ones are psychology and philosophy. Uh. I like to end this one with with a gotcha. It's a trick question. It's no longer in use. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was it was one fifty seven. Okay, but it is no longer okay. in use. And that was kind of like what you were editorializing, like how these little band aids. Like this is a, a good example of how we can use a tourniquet (laughs) because like we don't use this number anymore because it was so 
problematic. Like it, like like we we have a better understanding of mental health, and so therefore we don't even need yeah. this number anymore because that really would marginalize. Well, yeah, even even like LGBT issues used to be under like medical conditions right. or yeah. like disorders, right. yeah. and they have since moved that into the three hundreds, which is part of social science rather right. than a medical condition. Right. So, um, so yeah. we are making the improvements, but it's just not as fast as we probably should be. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well and it's just, it's I like one like number at know. a time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to discourage people from trying to do better. Like that's I, I don't want that to be uh, the takeaway from this because yes. I think trying to do better is the point. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah. Everybody's doing a great job. Well, and it is, you know, and I've I've never been to a library conference or taken a library class where something like this has not come up. So people in the field are very aware of it. And, you know, maybe there's not an overall kind of marching order yet on how to fix it, but people are trying to fix it. And I think it will be coalescing in the next 10 to 20 years to like, okay, like it's over a hundred years old the way we do things. So let's come up with I'm I'm not sure I have the confidence in ALA bureaucracy <laughs> to accomplish this. Um but I, I feel yeah. like, you know, these these smaller movements are gonna coalesce together to make big changes at some point. Well uh, in, in library yeah. school today, the big thing that uh, that we keep talking about in our classes is um diversity, equity, inclusion and like thinking like I just took a, a collection development and it's like who created this um this this record who does it benefit? Kind of like what Anne was speaking to. So it is in the forefront of at least library science students. Mm-hmm. So hopefully mm-hmm. as they graduate and they come into the workforce, we'll see it slowly fade away to uh, to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, as long as as long as we don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, um, right. you know, I think that we can we can make changes. We can, you know, try things out and see how they work um, and, you know, continue to grow and evolve and, and hopefully uh, get closer to closer to what we want to see. <laughs> nice. Very well said. All right. Well, thank you for listening. That's it. That is it. We're done. We're at 42 <laughs> minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, join us next time as we cover uh, 2022, a year in review. Um, and I think we also added 2023. A look ahead. A look ahead. What's coming up in the literary and library world. Um, we would like to thank Orion Neighborhood Television, ONTV, for providing the recording studios for We Blame Our Shelves. You can also find episodes of We Blame Our Shelves at our website, orionlibrary.org. Have questions, comments, or would like to give us a topic? Email us at podcast at orionlibrary.org. And you can check out everything for your shelf at your local library. Please support them by any means you are able. And Anne, thank you very, very much for coming today. Yes, thank you so much, Anne. Well, truly my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. We'll see you next month. Bye, guys.